podcast is brought to you by our great friends at aloe recovery located in sunny southern california aloe was created by the great bob forrest and his friends evan jared and bob they wanted to create a facility which treated drug addiction but in a different way they wanted to use compassion and connection rather than control They have decades of experience treating drug addiction as well as co-occurring mental health disorders, including SMI, which, of course, is severe mental illness. They have a staff whose whole purpose is to make sure that you are treated well, that your detox is as comfortable as possible, that if you're kicking benzos, heroin, alcohol, whatever, that it is as a comfortable detoxing experience as you can have. They have amenities you wouldn't believe including sound bath meditation, surfing, the uber-spiritual sweat lodge, and, of course, equine therapy. This place is the place to go if you're fucked and you need a place to go and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California. I highly recommend going to Aloe. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at CASL, which, of course, stands for Clean and Sober Love the dating app for people who choose a sober way of life. It was created by one addict to help another addict to date safely. So here's the deal. You got a new fucking life. You're sober. You're clean. You got your shit together, and now you're ready to date. So where are you supposed to look? The bathrooms at Red Lobster and Passaic? CASL is the solution. Dating in recovery is real and worth considering if you have your shit together. CASL is the platform where you can meet like-minded junkies 
all over the world. And if you have a thing for crackheads, they're on there too. Do you like alcoholics? I'm sure you can find one of those as well. Sober, alcoholics, crackheads, and junkies looking to mingle. They have a new messaging platform. Jump in there. Join the pool of beautiful recovering people at Clean and Sober Love. That is CASL on the App Store and the Google Play Store. And by the way, it is completely free. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Coffee. I love Grady's Cold Brew Coffee. It is delicious. It is strong. They make it with chicory. It is uh, an independent coffee company from New York City, founded in the Bronx up at Hunts Point in 2011, and Grady is a real person. I am also a real person, and I can't say how much I love Grady's, and I really also love the fact that Grady's gives a deal for Dopey fans. You get 25% off Grady's Cold Brew Coffee if you go to Grady'sColdBrew.com and you use the Dopey code Dopey25. 25% off Cold Brew Coffee is a great value. Cold Brew is expensive, it is delicious, and Grady's is super convenient. You can bring it to the ballpark, you can bring it to the camping, you can bring it to work, and you can mix it with anything. From oat milk to goat milk, I personally like whole milk, or I like it also black. Grady also makes a perfect gift. Order it using the Dopey discount code, Dopey25. Save 25% off. Go to Grady'sColdBrew.com. It is delicious fucking coffee. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by listeners like you through the power of the Dopey Patreon account. It is www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. It is an amazing way to get extra dopey. We put up three Patreon episodes a month. Last week we put up Gawker Editor-in-Chief AJ Delario. Check it out. The week before was my dad. You never know who's going to pop up on Dopey Patreon. Throw a few bucks. Subscribe to the channel. Five bucks gets you into the Dopey Patreon Zoom. Ten bucks gets you a sticker pack, plus the bonus episode 30 days in front of everybody else. So that means the Dopey Patreon bonus episode is coming out soon. Go to www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast and sign up for Dopey Patreon. Also, buy some Dopey merch. We are running our incredible Halloween skull misfits inspired dopey hoodies, the first ever dopey crew neck sweatshirt, and of course, new dopey tees. There are also dopey mugs. Go to dopeypodcast.com. We are in a partnership with SRO Prince, who are also a bunch of uh, recovering drug addicts as well. So buy some dopey gear at dopeypodcast.com. I still have snapbacks. I still have beanies, and I still have stickers. If you want to Venmo me, I am happy to ship them out to you. Enough with the ads. Here is the show. Welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I'm Dave, and I'm here with my good friend Ray. Hi, Dave. How you feeling, Ray? Uh, it's nice to be back in the kitchen. Yeah, we are back in New York City at my dad's kitchen table. I mean, it's fun to come out to your house, and we have a good time and watch TV, but this is a lot easier. Well, this is also like Roots. 
The root the roots, spot. Yeah. Fucking hell, man. It's crazy. This is where it all... No, this is not where it all started. This is not where it all started, <laughs> but this is definitely where it all continued. Wait, did you change your pants or that was what you had on? No. Do you think I walk around in pajama pants? Well, because I would just remember when you and I used to... I would meet you at Cass's and we would go to your apartment uh-huh. and you would immediately change into pajamas when we got in. Like you just... Like they were burning your legs to get these jeans off. I always thought that was so weird. Yes, it's true. And um, I didn't want to record the show wearing jeans. So I excused myself and I wondered if I had left pajamas here. And I had. <laughs> and when I did, I also found one of the original red dopey hats. Oh, I thought that was new. No, this is one That's of the original. School. This is the last red and black That's dopey That's really hat. nice. Do you, you like should, it? You should make some more. Red and black? That's a nice, yeah, that's a nice combo. Brian Hot Wheels. Connolly asked me if I would make blue and red dopey hats. That would be cool. I don't think I'm... We still have black and white dopey hats. That's what we have. Blue and red. Yeah, like contrasting colors. I think it's like the bear's colors. Orange and purple. Orange and blue is what I would like to see. Orange and blue would be nice. That's a nice mix. I think we did a few orange and blue dopey hats. I think Brian actually has one. I love that. I love contrasting colors, like yellow and purple and all that shit. Yellow and purple is not good. Yellow and green is dope. Are you a, what, what season are you? Are you a winter? What do you mean? What does that <laughs> are mean? Are you a summer? What, is that, what does that mean? <laughs> That's what my mom, my mom was obsessed with seasons, like what season, for fashion, what, clothes, what colors you can wear, and we goof on her. But you know what? She's right. Like, I'm a winter, and I can't wear yellow and orange. It makes my skin look washed up. I don't know. I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I wear all the same colors. I wear black, I wear green, I wear blue. That's it, really. But I bet you I could wear yellow and red. But I don't. Yeah. I don't wear those colors. <laughs> I, I wear flannel and black and blue and green. Yeah. Um, and Ray and I met up. It's a very exciting show, by the way. Welcome to the show. I hope you guys are well. Very excited to be back in the city. Uh, we have a very exciting guest, Jake the Snake Roberts. It's a oh, big guest. Oh, man. Yeah, that's, that's, that story is incredible. Um, it's a short interview because I was just forced to listen to it. Oh fucking Ray, man! We fucking. He's, I call up. I call up Ray this morning. I'm like, you want me to pick? I'm, I'm at Katz's. I'm doing some work. I'm like, do you want me to pick you up on my way home? He's like, sure. And I ask him when we're getting out of the car. Did you listen to the interview? And he's like, no. And I'm like, what do you mean no? Because you wrote to me and you're like, I'm sending you the interview, and then you're like, don't li- actually don't listen to it. I know, I, I, I told you not to listen to it. <laughs> and you were screaming at me on 14th Street. I'm walking by this car that's like, beep, beep. And I'm like, who's this fucking asshole beeping at this homeless guy? And This is how you know that Ray is not a real New Yorker. And I'm going to explain this to you. I'm a, a real New Yorker. You're not a real New Yorker. And I'm going to explain this to you. Real New Yorkers need to look at everything, number one, no, especially if someone's honking at real them. Real New Yorkers ignore everything around no, them. No, those are not real New Yorkers. If real somebody York- says, excuse me, you ignore them and no, you just keep th- walking. Those are not real New Yorkers. <laughs> real New Yorkers engage. They want to know what's going on. Now, if you say to me, can you give me directions? I'm like right on it. But if you don't say that in the first two seconds, I'm gone. Dude, I, I text you. I'm going to be on 14th between 6 and 7. Yeah, and I'm walking to 6, and We're there's on- this car beeping at me. Listen, I don't want to bicker about it. I sat outside. I honked the horn. You ignore me. The homeless person's like, hey, dude. I think, I think that guy's <laughs> you know, trying to call you. Those things, they have those kiosks that give people free internet, and you can charge. They're all over the city. But then when they thought of them, nobody had like wireless, or nobody had... Now they're just for bums to like plug their phones into and, and jerk off watching porn. 
Well, they who, build tents around them. Now explain that. Now what Ray is trying to say is that on every other corner, some phone company or wireless it's company. It's the city of New York. Wow. The city of New York probably in a shrewd partnership with some wireless company. When the internet was first invented, they're like, we need to put these kiosks so everybody has internet. They didn't think that everybody would have it on their phone. Right. And they also have a USB port where students and drug addicts and homeless people tend to charge their phone. And you know a huge population of people at the kiosks are people going to meet their guy and their phone just dies. And they know they're fucked, so they need to charge it. But it is a very awkward thing. When there's because because the 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 charging port is like four feet above the ground, yeah. so you either have to stand with it or they, you have to they sit, usually sit and hold your hand up yeah. holding it. It's very. And they're awkward. off when you see people on their phone. They're usually screaming into their phone. Oh yeah, some people are talking into the kiosk yeah. and they're screaming into the kiosk. Yeah, they're calling somebody who to help them or somebody they're fighting with. But sometimes they build tents around the kiosk and they live like with the kiosk. It's their source of. Electricity and warmth and warmth. It's like it's like, but that's post COVID. Like that shit's not going to happen pre COVID in New York. People aren't going to build ten. And when when did the word kiosk come to be? What is that word? It's been around forever. But what does it mean? It, it sounds Russian. It's a terrible word. Kiosk. I don't like the word. I don't like to use it. I don't. I don't want the word kiosk to exist <laughs> to, to describe some fucking bullshit informational like. Obelisk. What is a fucking kiosk? What is an obelisk? A kiosk is like, I don't know, an office. I don't know. Anyway, so Ray and I went to uh, Bandito Taco. Oh, that's what, it has a name? Bandito Taco, which was a, a spinoff of one of my favorite New York City fast food restaurants called Fresco Tortilla. Oh, Fresco, yeah. In the early 90s. They were everywhere. Fresco Tortilla came into the city to offer. They took over. Chinese-made Tex-Mex food fresh. Fresh made tortillas. For 99 cents. 99 cents. Quesadilla synchronado or something like that. Synchronizado. And uh, they take two delicious fresh tortillas, put Monterey Jack cheese, and quesadilla it out. But the one below Alan's apartment is the best one, I think. And years ago, Dave and I were going to a meeting, I think. And I was like, before we go, I know the best taco place in New York. And he's like, cool. And when we got there, he's like, this place is like under my dad's apartment. I know this place. I was expecting some like bougie taco spot that had like, you know, roasted root vegetable yeah, taco no, and some amazing fresco tortilla, some amazing shrimp taco and instead it's fucking fresco tortilla and i'm like fresco i I once saw three mexican guys at fresco tortilla who didn't speak english arguing with the chinese guy they were trying to order uh beef and broccoli and he screamed at them he's like it's not a chinese restaurant well for people who don't live in new york you have to understand that that these they're, they're not called Fresco often anymore. They're Taco Bandito, Bandito yep. Loco, blah, 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 whatever. They're, they're all Chinese. They're these tiny takeout places that resemble a Chinese restaurant, but they're Tex-Mex. So somebody who doesn't know what's going on to demand beef and broccoli, that makes sense yeah. to me. You and know, you know uh, Chinese restaurants are disappearing. Old school. Well, I believe, this is a belief I have. Like, I live in a town, you know, 50 miles outside of Manhattan, and mostly the Chinese food is terrible. It's fucking terrible. Oh, yeah. And Same in Westchester. I believe 
that if a young pioneering Chinese person or another person who really liked Chinese food had a dream of bringing quality Chinese food to the suburbs, I think they'd be a a rich person. I think you could be that rich person. I think we could do that. My nephew wants to open a Vietnamese restaurant in St. John's, Newfoundland, because there's not one. (laughs) I don't think... I'm thinking of a high... This is like a franchise. Oh, no, he doesn't want to. I suggested it. (laughs) I'm thinking a franchise that... You know, they make Panda Wait, Express. This is, this is good for you and I. Panda Express is not good. Panda oh, Express it's so bad. is the worst. <laughs> it's so but, bad. But a restaurant that's kind of like Pret a Manger yeah. or like a fucking, what's the Mexican one um, with the burritos? Oh, uh, Chipotle. Chipotle. I that love, dude's a billionaire. I love Chipotle. So if you take this concept, apply it to Chinese food, I think we could be very wealthy. Let's do that. Instead of of dopey, let's do that. No, no. But I think it could be good for somebody. We were going to form a painting company at one point. So do you want to hear my dishwasher story, or do you want to talk about my dad's cookies? Well, I just had two of your dad's cookies. You did? Yeah. Now I want to talk about this. I took a a picture of you with the cookies. Give me the cookies. You're looking for your phone. Ray is hopelessly, like, like I am and like probably all of you are, Ray is hopelessly addicted to uh, penis, no, to uh, to his <laughs> telephone. He's just fucking. My phone is. I'm not holding my phone. He's sick. But on I, the phone. I took a picture of you with the cookies to send to Bo because Bo and I send that picture back and forth to each other. Oh, don't put them in front of me. Now I have to say this, Keebler. I'm powerless over these cookies. Keebler. Um, I've, I've always been a fan of Keebler. It's too loud to wrap it up. It's too fucking loud. Okay. The, the sound of now the now they're on the is, floor. Who? What do you care? All right. What does it matter? Here, here, how's this? Ah! It's like it's gonna make everybody fucking crazy, man. Keebler is one of like it's a see, look what you It's a low quality cookie, Keebler. However, I feel like the elf thing and the idea of elves in a tree dipping graham crackers into fudge, I find it incredibly appealing. Yeah. And those the, those are really good chopped up put in ice cream. The fudge striped cookie I've always been a fan of. And my dad probably went to the supermarket and saw that these were on sale for a buck. But these are called whoopsie fudge stripes. And the gimmick is that the elf made a mistake. And if you know anything about fudge striped cookies, they ice just the back. The whoopsie cookie. Oh, they're striped on the top. This is no stripe. It's just fudge. You know what? I ate two of those. I took a picture of that package, and I didn't even... I thought those were fudge stripes. Wow. And I looked at the package and read it. What they're telling us is that the Keebler elves made a mistake. I see. He spilled the chocolate all over the cookie. And they were once striped with fudge. So if you, <laughs> if you took the layer of chocolate, you'd think there were stripes underneath. I, re- I remember when Keebler started. Like I'm, I'm getting old enough that I remember all this weird stuff. Like, I remember when there was no yogurt in the grocery store. Is that why you make your own yogurt? I do make my own. And I remember when we got a deli in Tallahassee, and we were like, what is a deli? And we're like, it's a place you buy prepared foods, and they have bagels. Like, what's a bagel? That was the first time I had a bagel. That's how, that's how it's very clear you're not a real New Yorker. Anyway, <laughs> um, so check it out. Yep. Months ago, my dishwasher broke. I was, well, when I was there, it was leaking all over the kitchen floor linda refuses to wash the dishes so i wash every dish well how much is a new dishwasher five hundred dollars i was afraid a new dishwasher was really expensive but then i looked it up and it's like 
A, the cheapest one is like 350 bucks. The oh. most expensive one is like 1100 bucks. Oh, so get a $500 one. So I decide that I can buy a dishwasher. Um, so Linda and I like block out time to go to Lowe's to buy a dishwasher because Home Depot supposedly supports Trump. So we decided to go to Lowe's, which is my first very political move. And we're, Linda's like, you got to measure the dishwasher because we're not going to be able to get the right size. And I'm like, we're like 70-year-old Jewish people now. And I'm like... <laughs> Linda's turned Jewish. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, I think it's a standard size dishwasher. It's right? so confusing. You know? And she's like, she's like, where's the tape measurer? She doesn't need- sound like yes, that. she does. And I said, I said, I don't know, Lynn. Where's the tape measurer? And we couldn't find the tape measurer. And she's like, I'm not going to the store if... if you don't have a measurement. So I took up a roll of string. Oh, yeah. And I string it across the front, and I cut it, and I put it in my little dope pocket, <laughs> and we go out. And she's so embarrassed that I'm going to pull out the string in front of, in front of the, uh, the salesperson. Like a hillbilly. Like a hillbilly. And the, but the salesperson was like the biggest hillbilly of all. And he's like, oh, very nice string, sir. Um, <laughs> they have this new thing called tape measure. We bought a tape measure when we were there, and they didn't, have any, they didn't have any dishwasher, so we wound up going to Home Depot and buying a dishwasher there. Do you know how many tape measures I have? How many? Take a, take a wild guess. I'm going to say four. Fifteen. So why aren't you a gas that I use the string to measure the dishwasher? Because <laughs> I've done it. I measure this. If I don't have, I'll use this, my elbow to my finger, and then use that as a measurement. So you're like me. But it's so, com- I bought a refrigerator recently. It's really confusing. That's the next thing, is the refrigerator. It's too it's much. Like, it's like $1,400. Well, I'm sure everyone wants this to be Dopey, the podcast on refrigeration. It's fascinating. And, and appliances, but it is not. Um, Ray, when you first came on the show, yeah, many years ago, you know, and we and you made me oh, take yeah. down the show. Yeah, yeah. You told a story about shooting up um, angel dust. Oh, yeah. And thinking it was heroin. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell that story? Oh, now? it was a fucking nightmare. That we went. They stopped selling dope in the East Village. Operation Pressure Point came in, and they just put. You know, like how, what happened with that? Like one day there's like an open air drug market on third street between, uh, A and B or A and C. And then like the police obviously know what's happening. It was way out in the open, hundreds of junkies. And then the next day they're like, oh, we're doing operation pressure point. Had to be tied in with like real estate and gentrification and all that. But so then they weren't selling it and we're like, where do they sell dope now? We went to Williamsburg, which I was pretty bougie, pretty bougie. It was Hasid, Hasidic. And we know they sell dope in Williamsburg somewhere, but we couldn't find it. Then they they were selling, there was guys on our corner in Park Slope, fucking Park Slope. And we went to them and said 3D, or I said 3D. and uh, um, Meaning three bags of dope. Yeah. And so we, no, wait. I'm, You're out there looking for 3D glasses? No, no. But Can I anyway, please have some 3D glasses? I, yeah, but whatever I said, uh, maybe I said 2D. Um, and God took it home and... So they gave you two bags. Yeah. But I also got, um, uh, what do you call it, like uh, robbed, um, beat. I got beat by these guys like, yeah, I, I've got it. It's inside the bar. I'm going to go in the bar, wait outside. And then there must have been a back door. So they took our money and somehow got out. But then these other guys, so, so 2D, took it home, shot it. And like 
And you asked me years ago, how did you know? I'm like, I knew right away that we'd been beat. This was not dope. And it was horrible. Oh, my it's God. my dad's four phones. <laughs> Hold on. He has Dopey Nation. If you didn't know, my father has maybe five phones in this apartment. So there's two in the kitchen, one in the living room, which is not three feet from the kitchen, two in his office, maybe six phones, it, and it, one in his bedroom. It feels like you're in like a telethon and the phones are ringing. It feels like you're in a telephone <laughs> store. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. And I say, Dad, why And he has a cell phone. Yeah. And he's addicted to his cell phone, too. Back to the angel dust story. Back to the dust. Yeah, so I immediately knew it was not dope, and it was not a good feeling. It was, I can't remember all the details. I remember not being able to stand up and crying, and then it lasted a long time. And I knew right away, oh, D, the dust. Fuck these phones. fucking phones. (laughs) All right, that was more spam calling my poor father. Back to the dust. Back to the dust. When my father was dying, he was getting these spam calls, and I screamed at one of them. I'm like, you motherfucker, don't ever call here again. My father is dying, and and the guy was like, I'm just doing... What I'm, what my boss told me to do. I'm like, that's what the Nazis said. Is that what you said? Yeah. And then I told my father, and he got very upset that I like yelled at like a telemarketer. That's funny. When my mom was dying, my dad almost attacked some dude in the street that went up to him for money. Oh man. So I think it's it's the grief. The grief brings out the violence. Yeah. Um, Well, that my father's phone rang like this, like every ten minutes, and and I also suspected them of like having gotten some money out of him for something. But yeah, the dust, it was just like a terrible feeling. I can't imagine why anybody would want to do that twice. And I couldn't walk. I, could, I was uncontrollable crying. And I had to go to work the next day. And I got to the subway and I broke down in the subway. And I called friends of mine from a payphone who lived nearby and said, can you please come get me and help me take me home? I couldn't get home. It lasted a long time. It was horrible. Did you ever do dust again? No. I, I, you know, when I was in high school, somebody sold me some weed. And like I'd given them the money and they handed me the bag and they're like, by the way, it's dusted. And I'm like, no, thank you. And I gave it like, I don't want this. Well, dust was famously the only drug that Chris and I had never done. I had never done GHB um, and neither of us had ever done dust. It had gotten offered to me, you know, one time. You know, and I, I think I've told this story like a million times on the show. But when I was in college... You know, I would smoke weed every day, and I would I would take whatever drugs I could find. And I we had just transferred to purchase. Oh, the pretty girls! And there were pretty girls sitting in the field smoking a bowl, and it was dust. And I was like, "No thanks." Those are bad girls. They were bad, bad girls. Um, but I, I can't believe I didn't smoke dust with them. But there's a bunch of guys that I know from that work where I work that became dust heads. And, like, now they're fucking selling scrap metal at the junkyard all day. Oh, dust like, took them down. Like, big time. I, don't, I did not get it at all. It was the worst feeling. I mean, maybe I got bad dust. I don't know. <laughs> Dopey Nation, if you guys love and, smoking dust, send in a, an email. And you Dopey. asked me on the show, you're like, what did you do? And I was like, I cried. And you're like, what do pe- people usually turn cars over and kill cops? And I, like, I just cried in my apartment. Yeah, dust supposedly makes you crazy. Yeah. I, My manager's crazy. He always smokes dust. He's got his own room at the back of the bus. Who's that? That's the Beastie Boys. Oh. Um, all right. So I have 
taken a real interest in my program of late. I don't know if you know this, but my program is fucking on fire lately. We've noticed. We've um, all noticed, Dave. Well, so I was, I'm working with this dude, uh, 62-year-old guy, and we read the book every week. He calls me every day. In a way, it's, it's made me like better. In other ways, it hasn't done anything. But in some ways, it's made me better. And I was sitting and I was reading... You know, it's not going to like cure you overnight to like meet well, there's with there's no sponsee. cure. There's no yeah, cure. It's, it's going to little tiny increments. And it 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 reminds it reminds me of um work that I should be doing. You know, so I'm working with the sponsee realizing that I have so much work to do with my sponsor. So after I got off the phone, after I stopped meeting with my sponsee, I called my sponsor and we started talking about resentments and he's been asking me to redo my fourth step for, you know, two years or something. Have you started writing it? So yesterday I started writing it and um, (laughs) I was writing, I'm writing it and I'm trying to think of who, I mean, I did a very comprehensive fourth step four years ago or something. But I'm like, you know, I'm a little bit spiritually blocked and I, I want to like do it again and I want to do the steps with the new sponsor. So I, I, I'm writing out people and I'm kind of like, I'm like not thinking of people that I really have a lot of resentments for. Like it's difficult. And I wrote down, I even wrote you down. And I was Me? Like, I, really, I was thinking I'm grasping at straws trying to come up with people that I resent. What did you resent? I didn't, ha- I crossed you off the list. Oh, okay. I was just thinking maybe I resent Ray and I, and I crossed you off oh. the list. But, um, you know, I'm making the list, I'm making the list, and then I'm thinking about DopeyCon, too. And I was thinking, um, you know who would be so great to have at DopeyCon, too, um, is Artie. So I start writing oh, man. I start writing an email. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Dylan. Who's Dylan? Bob Dylan. Yeah, Bob, Bob Dylan fucking sells whiskey. He's not coming to DopeyCon, <laughs> and, and Victoria's Secret. I, I don't know why he sells whiskey, though. It just seems so strange to me. Oh man, please don't stalk Artie again. So, what did that bother? If I stalked Artie, you know, I had a concept driving into the city today. Yeah, a talk show called Stalking, right? The Stalk Show. That maybe that could be what it yeah. is. And the idea is, you pick a famous person and you stalk them until they're on your talk show. You hang out. <laughs> that's that's basically dopey. It's basically dopey. <laughs> But, like, I was thinking of stalking Howard Stern. You know what I mean? That's dangerous because he has armed bodyguards. Well, he lives not that far away from me. In a, in a, a castle right. with a moat. Right. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so back to the... So I'm, I'm writing out my fourth step, and, uh, and my mind wanders to DopeyCon. And, um, and I have Artie's manager's information, so I start um, writing him an email. And I'm like, you know what? And then it cats is if, if a Dominican guy says, no, what? They don't say, you know what? They say, matter of fact, they don't say, no, what? Like, so it's like, so like, if they were telling this story, they'd be like, so I was writing my email, matter of fact, I'm going to give this guy a call. You know, so that's what I did. I said, matter of fact, matter of fact, I'm going to give this guy a call. <laughs> and, um, no. and, I, and I called the dude, and the dude never picks up, but he picked up, and oh, I was all scared. Weird. You know what I mean? Like, usually it's a, a voicemail. You'd be like, remember me? Well, it was a, usually it's a voicemail for his comedy club. Right. And I was like, 
Hello, Tommy. My name is David. I do this podcast called Dopey. And he goes, yes, I remember you, David. And I said, well, I'm working on a project. It's called DopeyCon 2. And I was wondering if maybe Artie could uh, come on the show. And I was just wondering how Artie was doing. Was your voice that high? No. But that's what I'd be like. Hello, Nancy, can I talk to Jim, please? That's how me and my friends would call each other. Um, so, like, fucking Tommy's like, Artie's not doing anything. He talks like this, Tommy. He goes, Artie's not doing anything for the rest of the year. I said, okay. And he goes, maybe next year. And I said, okay, that's great. How's Artie doing? He said, Artie's doing great. Spending a lot of time with the family. He's healthy. He's doing great. I said, great. I'm so happy to hear it. And he goes, um, I go, listen, um, just... Just so you know, I think it would be great if Artie came on the show. I think it would be great for Artie. I think it would be great for the show. I think it would be great for the audience. And he goes, he goes, you're definitely on my radar, he said. I was like, great. That could be bad. <laughs> and then he said, he said, what I don't want is I don't want you showing up at Kumia's studio with a hat anymore. Right. So then I take out You're my, on his radar. I take out my fourth step resentment list, and guess who's going down on the list? That guy. Artie's manager. And Artie. And Artie, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And it wouldn't fell through. So I'm thinking, <laughs> as I'm making this list, if anybody pisses me off, they're on the fucking list. Yeah. But little do I know, the list is going to boomerang back to me, isn't it? Yeah. Well, like a lot of times you're like, what was my part in that? Well, like, my part was stalking Artie and getting his manager mad at me. How did I get his manager mad at me? Because that's his manager's job is to, to protect like, him protect from weirdos him. like me. Yeah, I mean, I, I when I was writing mine, I like this person at work said this. So we're like, well, because that was their job to make sure that thing happened perfectly, and I could have been the fuck up in it, even though I wasn't. Well, I'm I'm enjoying this fourth step, and I think that you might make the fourth step by the end of today. Why? T- what am I doing? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> you better walk the straight line. What do you think of the stock show but, idea? Um, I think it's bad. You think it's bad? It's already the show, and like, I've. I it's don't the know. worst it's aspect. The worst of dopey. aspect of dopey is like you stalking these people, dude. We would not have guests if I, I wasn't know. so persistent. I know. chasing. I thought you were chasing Marin across the park. It was uh, Steve, Steve Earle. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And that's in other news. Who liked my music? Well, he doesn't like dopey. If I only have known, like, if you like my music, come on the podcast. But you, that was before you were on the podcast, right? That, that was, he liked your music that was two years ago. Um. And Steve Earle, obviously, if you know anything about Steve Earle, his son recently died of an overdose. That was such an awful story. And that kid is talented. But my point is, because I am so persistent, borderline stalky, if you will, I get the show made, which is basically how I got this guest on the show. Yeah. Jake the Snake. Jake the Snake, um, I don't even know how it happened. I think I was... It was when I would commute on the train and I was looking for movies to watch and I saw this documentary called The Resurrection of Jake the Snake. And I was a huge wrestling fan as a little kid. And um, and I love Jake the Snake. And this movie is like this crazy redemption story. I've got to see this movie now. Basically, Jake the Snake was... At his bottom, you know, super heavy, overweight, drunk, in a, a wrestling circuit that he shouldn't have been in, uh, a life that was out of his control, and uh, it had gotten, like, he, he went to some match really drunk, and, uh, and something embarrassing kind of happened, and it went on TMZ, and there's a guy called Diamond Dallas Page, who was oh, yeah. a big World Wrestling Federation guy, and I guess Jake had 
you know, was his mentor. Do you have a mentor, Ray? A mentor? Yeah. No. Me neither. I've never had a mentor. No, but I just had a thought. I wish you were my manager and you would like, because I never do anything for my music career, but you would be like, you'd have me at the garden. Maybe I would, but I, I mean, look, I have me at my dad's kitchen. So, right. So what maybe, can I maybe do? you wouldn't have me there. Um, anyway, so Diamond Dallas Page set up this yoga program, this wellness program, and he invited Jake to his house and basically got Jake back on his feet. And the movie is kind of the climb back into sobriety. And that was around probably right after Chris died that I had heard about the movie and I started reaching out to Jake the Snake. That long ago? Yes. This is what I'm talking about with my persistence slash stalkiness. I had a woman named Sarah Westrup who was very helpful in making the show. She got us Alaska Thunderfuck, the the great... um, what do you call drag queen? She got yeah. us. Uh, I didn't like that one. I did. She got us Margaret Cho, um, the the comedian. Yeah, and she got Jake the Snake's number, and I I had Jake the Snake all ready to go, and it didn't happen like a year and a half ago, and I've just stayed on top of no. it and stayed on top of it, and I wound up hearing back from his daughter, and she hooked up this interview. But the thing about it is that Jake's very sick. He has COPD. What does that stand for? Chronic something, pulmonary. Chronic obstructed pulmonary disorder, I think. And he has a very, very hard time breathing. So he said if he has a shortness of breath, he's going to have to get off the phone. And a couple of times during the conversation, his lungs, he got short of breath. And he had to end it short. But talking to him was an honor, and um, I thought it was pretty amazing. It's a it's a rough story, and that like wrestling is like the, one of the lower rungs of uh, show business. Don't say that. It's not. Tell that to Dwayne well, the Rock. Well, it's, it's he's a, the biggest, well, most biggest a, paid star in the world. Lower, it's a weird wrong. It's, it's like carnival. It's a like carnival, yeah. But it's 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 very very weird. But it's it's like theater. It's art. It's whatever. It's kind of like like rock and roll in the seventies. It's like off. You know, it's not mainstream. It's like anything goes. Exactly. And Jake the Snake came up in the craziest era. But enough with this the introduction. Here it is, Jake the Snake Roberts. So basically, this is a big honor for me. I've uh, been watching our next guest since I was a little kid. Um, it's Jake the Snake Roberts. Welcome to the show, Jake. Thanks, guys. Thanks. And I was trying to tell Jake about the origin of the show. And just so you know, like I started it with a buddy of mine, who I met in rehab. Yeah. And to tell our stupidest drug stories. And, yeah. um, and we did it for two years, and uh, he wound up relapsing and overdosing and dying. Um, oh, yeah, it's terrible. And, uh, but we've built up this audience of drug addicts, and they call themselves the Dopey Nation. And it's this very beautiful thing, you know? I want to be a part of it. You are a part of it, man. You're, you know, you are a part of it. Uh, about when he died, I think I watched your movie, uh, yeah. The Resurrection of Jake the Snake Roberts, and it is yeah. insane. Um, and I've just been absorbing you for the past, you know, long time. And uh, I'm in, like, I've been watching one documentary after the next. And uh, yeah. it reminds me when I was a little kid, I would watch you on like USA Network, you know, going yeah. up against Junkyard Dog and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and all that sure. shit. And uh, you were a superhero. You know, um, 
That's so crazy that you're not a superhero, did, and you're also obviously a drug addict. So yep. how did you deal with that sort of fantasy? Well, you know, I never had a problem in the ring, okay? I can figure anything out, anything, you know? I can make sense out of this the most stupid idea ever. I can make it work. But my problem started when the match was over. Okay. Because when the match was over, I wanted to keep going. You know? Like the high. The high. I wanted that drilling rush. Keep going. Come on, man. Come on. Give me some more. Give me some more. Give me some more. And, of course, what happens is you leave the building with all the cheers and the fanfare and all the bullshit, and you get into a fucking rental car and you drive to a fucking bullshit hotel. And you go into your room, you set your shit down. As soon as you set your shit down, the phone starts ringing. Who is it? It's the wife. She's lonely. She's miserable. Why aren't you at home? Oh, my God, I have nothing to do. Can I, be, can I build onto the house? Can I buy some property? Just do whatever you want. Just don't fucking call me fucking upset. Right. And, of course, you know, men being men, we wander from our room and uh, looking for any type of confirmation that we're still a man. You know, that we got our shit together. That um, I'm cool, I'm bad, I'm Jake the Shane, whatever, fuck it. Yeah, you can get out of your head, right? Like yeah. you, you're 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 this character during the day. You have it's like a rock star. You have all this time yeah. to do nothing, yeah. and then all of yeah. a sudden you're everything in front of you know twenty thousand people, yeah. and then you go home and your wife is pissed, and you need to get out of your head. Yep, so you do. My choice was drugs, alcohol, and women. You know. Yeah. Um. In in all of the absorbing your story, obviously. Um. You know, you came from, you know, a very tough childhood. Yeah. Um, like, it, I, even saying the word tough doesn't do it justice. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It, no, it, it was horrifying. You know, to be, to be molested is not, is not tough. It's horrifying. What it does to you, <laughs> it, it doesn't even register what it really does to you. You, know? you can't tell. Because not, only, not only does it fuck you up. But it fucks up all your relationships moving forward. You know, I, I didn't trust women. Why? Well, because my mother pretty much abandoned me. Um, my brothers and sisters were given away. Um, I lived with my alcoholic grandfather and my grandmother. And her job is to constantly look for liquor bottles so she can pour them out because my grandfather is a hopeless alcoholic. Your grandfather was such a bad alcoholic. I think the audience would relate to the story. He was yeah. he was injured, and uh, why don't you oil tell? Yeah, it was an oil field accident. He was um, standing on a rack of pipe. You know, back in those days, they were drilling everywhere here in North Texas. And um, a coworker who had been drinking got into a truck and was doing donuts in the mud and shit. And, slid into the rack of pipe and the, the pipe rolled and uh, these pipes were very heavy on three and four hundred pounds each and they crushed his legs and um, the first thing they wanted to do was amputate and he refused that he said no no I, I, I came into the world with two legs I'll leave with two 
So he refused the amputation. And um, in those days, in the 20s or 30s, uh, the way they dealt with that was they would let the bone heal and then they would re-brace it to realign it more, little by little. So they rebroke his legs like four or five times over a year. Ugh. Now, this whole time, he's hooked up to morphine because in those days, addiction was not a word. No. How could anybody, like, how could they release it? Because he was on morphine for, for six months or something, and then they just send him a home. Year. Oh, my God. A year. And they turn him out. Well, fuck, he's got a little bit of an itch. Oh, yeah. Well, now you move forward 30 years, and he's been drinking the whole time, 30 years straight. Because every day he has to have a bottle. If not, he'll go crazy. Absolutely bang shit crazy. And um, it, by the time I started realizing what was going on, when I was eight, nine years old, um, he was to the point of, you know, he had a couple of DUIs, but back then that wasn't a big deal. You know, pay $50 fine, keep going. <laughs> you know, in the, in the 60s. But um, they didn't trust you to take this pill called antabuse. You know what antabuse is. Of course. And then that's some motherfucking shit. Yeah. And it works. It works. I tested it. <laughs> that's how fucking idiot, how big of an idiot I am. I tested that shit. <laughs> Boy, did I puke. Motherfucker, did I get sick. Oh, shit. Anyway, they uh, didn't trust him to take it, so he would have to take a taxi to the doctor's office every morning, 7 a.m. Walk in, they give him a shot in the arm. All right? And abuse. He would go outside, get in that same taxi, and drive four miles to the nearest liquor store and get a bottle of liquor. Ugh. Knowing that he's going to puke his fucking guts out, shit himself, no matter what, but that's what his day's going to be like. So when I came home from school, my grandfather would be passed out in the fucking chair. Sometimes he'd torn up on himself. Sometimes he'd piss himself. Sometimes he'd shit himself. Not many people come into my house, brother. <laughs> you know? Yes. Not I mean, many people come to my house. I was hiding. I've, I've been hiding all my life. You know, if I wasn't hiding from my stepmother, I was hiding from my grandparents and the, the horrible things that I was seeing there. If it wasn't that, it was from my sister who wound up getting kid raped, you know, kidnapped and murdered. You know, and I was always hiding from something, running, running, running. And um, so when I became a star, I had to do something about that because people wanted to know what I was about. Well, fuck, I can't tell people what I'm about. I can't tell people all this horrible shit. I gotta hide. I'm a star. I can't, I can't let people find out. If they find out, they won't like me. Right. That's the horror I walked into. I, I, when I was watching the movie, um, I wrote down this quote, and it was very emotional. And uh, you're talking... And, and the man that, like, uh, basically helped save your life is Diamond Dallas Page, and he invited you into his, his home and, yeah. and, and, and taught you his yoga and helped you eat right and get right. And, uh, and you had this moment where you said, Jake the Snake is supposed to be a bad motherfucker that don't give a shit about nothing. Right. And that's who you were supposed to be. And, and, and the yeah. audience needs to know, your mother was 12 years old when she had you. Like, this is not... <laughs> 13. 13, right. Yeah. Yeah. She was, you, yeah. you were conceived from rape. It's like a myth. And, and you wound up carrying the myth to the highest of heights. And, like, the fact yeah. of what happened 
you know, it, you can't, you're obviously not to blame. You know what I'm saying? It, it's, oh, no, I, I get that, brother, but that's not what the kid feels like. Of course. Of course. You know, that's what people need to understand. You know, these fucking kids that are out there being abused, they think it's all their fault. They're hating themselves. They're, they're, on, the, they're on the edge of suicide. Whether you folks out there know it or not, <laughs> that kid right next to you could be on the edge of suicide. <laughs> But they have to show everybody that everything's okay and they're happy, kids. That's right. They got to live a life. See, that's that's one of the reasons I think I was so good at doing interviews and stuff. Is because at a very young age, I was forced to learn how to lie to the point that my life depended on it. You know? If I didn't tell a good lie, no telling what the fuck's going to happen to me. Right. And if, I, if I don't if I don't say the right thing to this bitch, she may beat the fucking shit out of me. Which she did, right? Often. Yes, absolutely. Burned me with fucking boiling water. You know, poured it in my lap. Oh my god. That was an interesting day. <laughs> Scalded dick. I love that. <laughs> it's just like it, it is an unfair situation, but it's also like the craziest thing is it like you said, it is the perfect storm to create a wrestler called Jake the Snake right. Roberts, who's Absolutely. who's a hypnotic speaker. You know, everyone talks about your ability to speak to the to the audience and um and the psychology of it they talk about. You know what right. I mean? And uh, yeah. and you're talking about being the the pre addict manipulator that came out, right? Right. 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 It's it's unreal. I, I mean, when I was a kid and I would watch you, you did, you had that ability to transfix the world, oh, you know? I, and, do I you, had to make you believe, man. My life depended on it. Do you think you hypnotized yourself with that kind of stuff? Oh, yeah, absolutely. 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 And when, as a kid, you know, you had just the worst experience, like when yeah. did you discover... Uh, the ability to escape yourself through substances? Um, probably at a very young age, man. Um, probably 14, 15. Okay. You know, the alcohol started, you know. Um, I started drinking when I was 10 or 11. And um, that was just, you know, I'd find my grandfather's shit and I would take a big slug of it and think, I'm a man now. Oh, you know. Stupid motherfucker. <laughs> but um, yeah, by the time I was fourteen or fifteen, man, I realized the uh, the boost I got from alcohol, how much better it made me feel about myself. It didn't make me feel better; it made me not feel right. You yeah, had a break. What, you had a break from your misery. Right, right, and that's what people don't get. You know how? Well, you're getting a break. But why aren't you feeling better? Well, because it's it's not real. It's not real. It's not a real prank. It's not I'm real, just, and you're on a timer. You know it's right. not going to last. When I wake up, my shit's going to be compounded because I know I'll fuck up doing something when I'm fucked up. Yeah, man. It's it's unreal. Living high, living high is not a fun thing. Well, you you said that someplace in, in one of the things I was watching. It might have been high thirty years ago. It might have been fun thirty years ago. Like yeah. like, but it changes. I mean, I I know yeah, that no. when I when I finally got the worm turns, the worm turns. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I finally got got to it, I was forty one. You know, when I got sober yeah. the last time, and yeah. um, and one of the things that I kept telling myself was there was no way I was going to get higher. You know what I mean? Like there was no yeah. higher high. You know. 
Oh, if you were able to convince yourself of that, you, you might be the first person ever to do that. <laughs> it wasn't me. You know how it is. Yeah, but I never convinced myself. I, I thought I could get there somehow. And I did. I did. I found a new way to get high. And the way I get high today is, is I do something positive to impact somebody else's life. And when you start helping people, man, you know this. God damn, it feels good. It does? When you, when you get that first eye contact with a fucking drunk that gets it, he just now got it. The light went on. Man, does that feel fucking good or what? It takes you, and if, if nothing else, it takes you out of your head. You're not, you're not in exactly. you anymore. Exactly. Not and you. it tells you that you're not the only one that's fucked up out here. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I mean, like, I've been trying to get you on this show for, like, years because when I watch you in these, you know, on Joe Rogan or in your movie or whatever, the transformation is so emotional. You know what I mean? Watching you, you know, you when you went into the WWE Hall of Fame, I mean, like, and this is an interesting question. I don't want to offend you here, right? When I, when I watch the documentary and I watch you into the Hall of Fame, right, the emotion is so fucking real, right? It's so high. Um, but then I think about your psychological performances. How are, like, do you ever watch yourself when you're being sincere and get confused, like, what's real? No. Okay. No. Uh, when I'm sincere, I'm sincere. It's deep, though, right? Yeah, it is. It's very deep. You know, I, I don't go out and play that card. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't go out and work for that magic. I, that's all real. But, uh, you know, that, that, um, the performance at the Hall of Fame, for instance, uh, you know, I got there and uh, the next day they said, you know, we're going to have a couple of writers get with you and, and they'll tell you what we're going to be putting up on the Tron. That way you can talk about it, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, you're going to have two writers write my shit? <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah. So I went all of it. We, we worked for about four and a half hours, man. You know, trigger, trigger mark here. Okay, when you say this, this will come up. You and Andre, okay, that'll come up. Okay, no problem. And, um... It come time to go out. I wanted up the fucking paper and threw it over my shoulder and fucking went out there and did what I wanted to do. And uh, I thought that I had it coming to me. I'd sacrificed enough over the years and, and done what everybody wanted that I should be able to spend five minutes in front of the fucking microphone and say what I really think and feel. And uh, to hoist my grandson up there, he's my hero, man. He's had so many fucking surgeries, him and his sister both. It's crazy. Well, that's the pain. He's coming, man. He's coming. But now, today, I'm able to deal with things without getting into a bottle or getting a hold of a crack pipe or grabbing some girl. I can do these things now and handle them the right way. Life on life's terms. I got you. Yeah. Pretty odd. You know, for us, that's odd. Yeah. Yeah. My, my fucking drum, my drum's got a fucking cymbal, a fucking uh, bell, and everything else on it. So I don't know. <laughs> no, I get it. Sometimes I hit them all at once. Oh, that's yeah. I understand what you mean. <laughs> Let me ask you this: um, yeah. when you uh, 
you know, because that whole occupation, you know, it's 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 a uh, it's a sport, it's athletic, it's theater, it's you know, it's showmanship. And when the WWE wants you to say something at the Hall of Fame, they script it like they script a match, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you come out and you speak from the heart, and like it's yeah. so emotional. I mean, it's very powerful. Yeah. Um, how did they respond to it? Well, they were real happy. But here's what I knew. I knew when I came off that stage that I hit a fucking longest home run of the year. Because I, I watched the people's fucking faces out there. And um, I felt the emotion. And uh, I knew how strong it was. So Vince, although he did not get what he wanted, he did get a supreme performance. Right. You know, off the charts. Uh, the people that work under him were coming to me telling me what a great fucking job I did with that interview. And then they turned around and got their ass chewed by Vince because it wasn't what he wanted. <laughs> right. Well, he's the ultimate control freak. He's the ultimate yeah. control freak, right? Right, right, absolutely. You know, if, he, if he's not popping the bubble, then the bubble will not be popped. You know, as a kid, when I watched the WWF, I didn't know that he owned it. I didn't know how the ownership yeah. worked. And I was like, who is this fucking guy? Like, I love yeah. Mean Gene. I loved, uh, what was the guy, the Gorilla Monsoon. I love that guy. Um, sure. He was cool. Was he a good guy in real life, Gorilla Monsoon? Yes, he was. And Jesse yes. the Body was so great. Well, that's, that's on you. Dude, I don't know him. As a commentator with Gorilla Monsoon, it was great oh, entertainment. Uh, it was good rapport, man. They had fun. Yeah, he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a big-time crazy politician. And it's so funny that you, your journey to, to see all these things and all these people along the way, and obviously like with a movie like uh, the Mickey Rourke movie, The Wrestler, um, all of these documentaries that have been coming out the last few years, you know, The Sheik, Andre, your movie, it's obvious that drugs and alcohol were at play in, in this sport. They're at play everywhere, bro. Yes, sir. That's for sure. If you're, if you're the cop that sits on the corner, there's drugs in your car somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. It doesn't have to be cocaine. It doesn't have to be marijuana. But there's some type of drug in that car that alters you from what you really are, whether it be tobacco or a cupcake. Look, cupcake gets killed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I still live for cupcakes. And the drug that I miss the most is tobacco. I mean, I smell somebody smoking and I'm just there. You know, I haven't smoked in a couple of years, but like, that's something I, that. I hate your guts. Don't hate me, Jake. Don't I'm hate fight. me. <laughs> You're fight. fighting it. You know, I got a, I had a little kid and, uh, and she started to smell it. And my wife just kept bugging me about it, you know? And um, like you're describing when you're on the road and they call and she just kept bugging me about it. And I had I had lung issues. You know what I mean? Like I would I would just cough and cough and cough and cough and cough up thick, disgusting mucus. And I kept promising I would quit. And um, and I knew it was it was the same thing as like N.A., you know, one is too many and a thousand never enough. There's never going to be. A, a cigarette doesn't last forever. There's no one cigarette. There's just not one cigarette, um, nope. which is what killed me. So I finally, like, 
I, I just drilled the kind of 12 step thing in my head around smoking. And then I bought yeah. one of those shitty blue vapes. And I, oh, was, yeah. and I was like, I'm just going to fucking hit that. I'm not going to buy another pack of cigarettes. Um, and then uh, I hated the blue vape, but I didn't buy another pack of cigarettes. And that's how I weaned off of it. I mean, I don't know if wow. that's going to help you. What's going on with you and smoking? Yeah, same shit. I'm just trying to get off of it. And my lung specialist told me the vapes are worse than cigarettes. Right. Popcorn yeah. lung. More, more fucked up shit in those vape pens than there are in cigarettes. So that's fucking doing something. <laughs> right. But, I mean, um, how... how- so it's, it's in progress, brother. I'm down to half a pack a day, so... It's I'm trying to go half and half and half. I think the craziest thing for me is like I was a heroin, I'm a heroin addict, you know, and I was scared of, of not smoking like I was going to go through withdrawal. Right. You know, like right. I wasn't going to be able to tolerate it, you know, and, and, and it was bad, but it's nothing like uh, fucking quitting drugs, like in terms of physically. No, it's not. No, it's not. Morphine and shit. A lot worse. Fucking morphine. Oh, that's a bitch. <laughs> it's all it's all fucking, you know, hell. Um Yeah. What was I gonna ask you? So like what was the scene like uh when you're dealing with professional wrestling and and drugs? Like is it everywhere? Is it like it was wide open. Yeah, you know, we had doctors coming to the buildings writing scripts for whatever we wanted. You know. It was crazy, bro. And like, was there camaraderie in using? Like, did people get high together? Was that part of the thing? Uh, a few, not, not a whole lot. You know, we're the worst kind of user, monetary users. You know, that's the worst kind. I said. You know, because you've already locked the door and you ain't let nobody else. In. Right, you're alone. Yeah, that's what gets killed. Right. Kills you. And um, and following your uh, your career, you know, um, all of the times that like you were supposed to like win a win a title or and you, and your temper would come up, huh? Never needed a title to confirm how good I was. No, you were the best. I mean, like just the fact that you would uh, when you. Uh, like DDT'd Hulk Hogan and the crowd cheers for yeah. you. It's yeah. like, doesn't that tell the story? Probably about $20 million. <laughs> right? Yeah. And um, one of the biggest, you know, as a, as a nerdy childhood wrestling fan, the Ricky the Dragon Steamboat um, yeah. beef or, or whatever, rivalry, like right. when you wound up DDTing him, on the floor of uh, you know the concrete floor, yeah. did he actually get hurt? Oh yeah, he was hurt bad. But you didn't want to do it, right? No, I fought him over that. I said I can't do it; it'll kill him. It's going to fuck him up. And he was uh, he was adamant that he wanted to do it outside too. I'm like Ricky, you can't do it, man. I'm telling you, I will kill you. And he owed a favor to a guy named George Scott. And George Scott was uh, Vince McMahon's right hand man at the time. In fact, if you watch that clip, he's the guy that hops in the ring with a light-colored suit on, tan-colored, and I'm pointing at him, and I'm pointing at Steamboat and telling him, that's your fucking fault. I right. fucking killed him. I, I didn't know if Steamboat was dead, but I knew he was fucked up. 
because uh, I had to pick him up, man. God damn, picking up dead weight like that is hell. Right. But I got him into the ring, and uh, it took two weeks for his head to get the swelling. Two weeks. His head swelled out four inches. And um, it, took, it took about 10 days for his eyes to start turning black. But when they did turn, man, they turned some ugly colors, bro. Oh, God. It's terrible. I mean, like, but you're, and you're putting on a show, right? Yeah. You're yeah, putting on a show. Going. Was he your friend? Yeah. 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 I love Steamboat, man. He was amazing. He was, he was, he was fun to watch. And you guys together were great to watch. And, yeah. and like, so you, you hurt your friend and it's supposed to be what you wanted to do. So yeah. you, you need to be committed to the performance, right? Right. Right. It was hard to do, bro. It's crazy. When was the first time you did uh, Coke? Oh, God. Probably when I was about 19. Yeah, 19 or 20. And you remember Late, late starter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't going to do it, but this girl told me if I didn't do it, I didn't get the pussy, so I did it. You did what you had to do. Yeah, I had to. <laughs> when did it become something that became habitual? Oh, God. Not until, I'd say, 88, 89, 90. You were making crazy money. Yeah. Yeah, shit tons of money. And um, then it just became part of my, my shit that I had to have every night. You know? To me, it was no different than having tape in my bag. You know, it's just what I have to have. Right. You know, I got the snake, I got this, I got that, I got my coke, I got my pills. Okay, I'm ready to go. <laughs> that sucks when you got to have a drug list so I can get ready to leave. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And, and especially if you forget one. Oh, my God. Now what are you going to fucking do? Panic. Like, Panic. Like what would you forget? I get fucked up and leave my fucking coke at home or something, you know? I mean, I, you know how you are when you're fucked up. Your fucking brain's going a million miles a minute and you can't catch nothing. But, um, yeah, you know, I forget shit or believe shit or my guy didn't show up shit, you know? And how often when you would get to a town, like, there's a crazy, like, one of my favorite, uh, I'm a big Grateful Dead fan. And, yeah. um, you know, Jerry was obviously all strung out on everything. And yeah. um, and they would send heroin ahead of the dead so, right. so he didn't have to carry it, you know? Right, right. And they get to Philly or something, and he's sick. Um, so he, he, like, he didn't want to do radio interviews ever, but because he right. didn't have dope, he goes to the radio station, and he basically starts asking on the radio for people to yeah. come bring him dope. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, sure, I've done that. So how does that work? Rock us through a story like that. Well, you just get on the fucking air and say, yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. You just you weave your story into this and, hey, drop by if you know me, you know, know my friend, you know? <laughs> and you walk out of the fucking radio station, there's 16 fucking guys out there, you know? Because we get the message, right? It's like, that's yeah, our people. Yeah, that's bad fuck. You kidding? Really, it was so hard for us. It was so hard for us because here's what, here's what would happen. Let's say... I leave my house in Atlanta. I'm going to fly to Chicago. I'm going to wrestle in Chicago. And then the next day, I'm going to wrestle in Milwaukee. Okay, no problem. So I fly into Chicago. 
And I've got already in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm going to pick up a rental car, I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to work out, go back to the hotel, I'll clean up, I'll eat, I'll go to the building. Okay, that. But you get off the plane in fucking Chicago, you get the baggage claim, and there's a fucking guy there that you know, and he has a limo out front for you. Oh, really? Really? Okay. So you go out to the limo, he opens the door, you look inside, there's three naked women with a big pile of cocaine in the middle of a table. I don't think I'm going to the gym. No. <laughs> Nobody ever picked so, me up. Nobody ever picked me up at the airport like that. Well, you don't want to. Because here's what happens. You wind up doing the shit all day, all night. He gets you to the fucking airport at 10 o'clock in the morning. You get on a plane. He goes home. You go to the next town. Oh, no, and guess what? You've got another friend there. Oh, no. So you just keep going, don't you? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, two or three days at a time. Yeah. Yeah, the next day I do the same damn thing again, you know. I mean, it was crazy, man. Yeah, it's like you were being enabled and you were also being used at the same time. Really, man. You know, I mean, they, they bring the girls and, of course, next thing you know, you're right in the middle of it, man. They knew what to put out there. You know, they wanted to have fun, too, but really it was my expense, you know, because um, I was on call the whole time, you know. Yeah, and you were also the main event. You know, they right. got to say they were partying with Jake the Snake. And, yeah. And you had to tolerate your life. And that was like the high point, like we were talking about before, escaping, escaping like self-doubt and like not thinking that you, you know, you don't feel about yourself what 20,000, a million, four million people around the world think about you. Right. Right. That's, that's the thing that always ate a hole in me. It's like... People want me to take pictures and shit with them and uh, with their kids or whatever. Inside, my mind is screaming, but you don't fucking know me. But you don't fucking know me, you know? And how dare you want me to take a picture with your child? Don't you realize what a junkie I am? You know, what a, what a loser I am? I'm living a lie. And that, that was very, that fucked with my head a lot, man. Because I felt guilt. I felt shame and guilt. Guilt, you know... You know for a fact, shame is the worst fucking thing you can get. You know, yeah. Because you got you have to put that on yourself. Everything else, people label you, but they can't label you with shame. You have to do that yourself. You have to accept that. And when you do that, that's that's when you're really fucked. So shame's a bitch. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know? my my when my daughter, my when my wife was pregnant, we'd go to live birth classes. My pockets would be full of heroin and and clonopins and Xanax. I, right. you know, I know what it feels like. Um, it's, yeah, what a great guy I am. <laughs> it's fun. It's funny though because just like you can only claim your own shame, you can only diagnose yourself as an addict too. Right. Right. True. Um, True. You know, that's just that's just part of the, that's just part of the turmoil, man. It's just all all mass confusion and mass just bullshit. You know, I mean, the things we put ourselves through when you're an addict, uh, the chances we take are just insane. You know, I've seen so many things that I don't want to repeat because they were just horrible to watch. You know, and then to, and to know that as a society we've 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 gone that far. You know, uh, seeing young kids addicted to crack heroin and crack cocaine and heroin, and they're turning tricks to just get hot. You know, what the fuck, man? Really? 
it's but fucking, it's out there. It's fucking evil. It's out, yeah, it's out there, brother. And there's lots more than we do, we know. And the dangerous ones are not the ones that are admitting it. The dangerous ones are the ones living in the lie. Which you did, and but I did. They will do. They will do anything to keep that lie covered. That's when it gets dangerous. Yeah, we both did it. But for me, when I started, uh, when I started getting str- or started being open about it, that's you know that was a two-edged sword. Uh, on one hand, I'm opening up and doing the right thing, but on the other hand. Um, the career took the shot. You know, describe uh, that. How does? How? I mean, like, because I, what I really also want to know is like the difference between riding high and the wheels coming off. It's like a weird, gradual thing, right? Well, it, it is for some people, but it can happen overnight for others. You know, it can blow up in your face. I mean, I, I just read where a good buddy of mine is blew up in his face again. You know, Scott's had a little problem and. uh you know, it, it, it surfaced again. You know, and anytime it surfaces, it's not going to be pretty. And that's Scott Hall, but, the Razor Ramon, right? Yeah, right. Right. I'm sorry. No, 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 yeah. no, no. It's fine. Um, but and you having a bad time right now. So I, I had more relapses. Uh, I had more fuck ups than I could count. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. There's only there's only one that, that counts. That's the last one. Right. Right. That's all. You know, and, and that's how I know God's not a woman, because God forgives and forgets. <laughs> a woman may forgive you, but she ain't gonna fucking forget shit. Yes, you know? yes. Um, and, and I, you know, and here's something for those women out there. Hey, I was a slime dog bitch. You know, I mean, nothing good about me at that time in my life. You know, I may have been putting on a happy face and doing the right things at home and stuff and, and, and not beating my wife. Of course not. It's my wife. Goddamn, I didn't respect her. I didn't I didn't love her the way I should. I mean, I, I destroyed that relationship. You know why I destroyed it? Because I had to beat them to the punch. Right. You know? Right. Because I, my, my idea of a relationship was so screwed up that... I mean, I can look back through my relationships, brother, and pinpoint the times when things were getting so good with me and the wife that I had to cause some turmoil to fuck it up a little bit because I was getting really open with her. Right. You know, I was being real. I was being too real. Right. There's no there's no way that she's going to stay with you once she knows who you are. So you need to fuck it up first. Right, right. Because I ain't gonna let her get one up on me. Fuck that bitch. And, yeah. How could anyone love that's you? Just, right. That's a stupid. Right. I don't deserve it. You know. Blah blah blah. Down the road. Now I'm gonna throw one out there for the guys, and the guys are gonna be going, "Oh fuck, Jay, you didn't have to say that." But I'm gonna tell you. <clears throat> Here it is. If you go out like I did and party and sow your wild oats if you want to call it that and you start having sex with many different partners not only are you opening yourself up to getting AIDS or some other disease hell they might even name one after you who knows hey, if you're lucky but, yeah there's probably two or three on me but I will tell you this I reached a point with having too many partners that 
sex became a real goddamn chore for me. I'm breathing. Hold on a second. You're going to have to keep quiet. I'm going to... All right, thanks. It got to the point that I was dreading going home because I had the pressure of having to have an erection. Right. And, well, why, why is the problem your wife smoking hot? Well, the problem is I've been out there doing it with too many people, and now it takes quite the fucking entourage just to get me excited anymore. Right. You know, I got to have one girl doing this, one girl doing that, then you guys meet in the middle, then you drop down, hit the pose, I do the spray shot, continue. You know, it's a goddamn zoo. You know, I'm bringing the clowns, bringing the fucking, you know, whatever, just to get going. Right. Now, that's not real pressure, is it? The hell it ain't, brother. It's also like another level. It's also another level of the fantasy. You know what I mean? Right. You can't have that in everyday life. It's always trying to top something, and and love isn't in that picture right. usually. Right. But you destroy any opportunity of having a healthy sexual relationship. Right. Right. Now, what do you do about that? Tell me. Well, here's what's working for me. I abstained for about four years. Not four years, man. And I'm taking baby steps now. But uh, I desperately, at 65, want what most people have at a very young age. And that's a healthy relationship with a, with a partner. I want, I want to have a partner that I've never cheated on. I want to have a partner that I've always done right. right. I want to have a partner that I can become intimate with. Of all the feelings that I've had in my life, that's the one that I crave the most because I have had the least of it. Right. It's because I never allowed myself to have that intimacy. See what I'm saying? I do. So I'm telling all you guys out there that think you're really putting notches on your sword and stuff, brother. You're not. Right. You're not. All you're doing is just taking care of a fucking bullshit fantasy that has nothing to do with the size of your penis or what you're doing. Right. You know? You're, you're, you're guaranteeing more loneliness. It's a you're damn right. right down. You are. You're damn right. If you want to be really fucking happy, man, then get really fucking committed. Get really tight with one person, not fifteen. You can't. It's impossible. And make it work. And 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 be loving. And, and let her love you. Basically, let her, let her love you. Right. Exactly. That's beautiful. Let me and ask you you're, something. I'm you're sorry. fine. You're fine until you fuck up. <laughs> or and then once you then once you fuck up, guess what? You've destroyed it. It cannot come back to that again. I fuck she up. She may forgive you, but she will not ever forget you well, that I, you've done this. I I I, fu- I, I, fu- I got you know I lost my, my I never got married, but me and my wife had a kid. She caught yeah. me with heroin. Uh, she left yeah. me, and then five years later, I got her back, and we have a second kid now. And um, mm-hmm. and and it's obviously it's it's not perfect, but it's working. And what yeah. my sponsor says, what I constantly fuck up, Jake, is that I don't keep my mouth shut. My sponsor's like, you got to keep your mouth shut, man. You got to yeah. you got to stop. You know, like because like, what do I need more than a happy home? Nothing. You know what I mean? Exactly. Me- so you need to keep that mouth shut and quit offering enough information that's needless. Or, or just my will, like what I want yeah. about this yeah, or that. The thing, the thing is, is you got to remember that when you're saying stuff, you got to remember not that it also tells you unless you're hurting someone else. 
Exactly. You know? Exactly. Or, or, Don't pull that fucking shit out there unless it's been called for specifically. So, exactly. I mean, God Almighty, man. Are you serious? Well, exactly. Exactly. You know, it's, like, it's like I tell people, it's like in wrestling, man. Why did Jake the Snake work so well? Well, because I never destroyed my own credibility. That's that's the bottom line. If Jake the Snake said it, Jake the Snake did it. Jake the Snake was a bad motherfucker, no doubt. And guess what? He don't have to say sorry to anybody because he just don't do that. All right, that's all easy. The hard part is when you got to enact that shit. You know? And uh, for me, it's like. Okay, it'd be like you and your girl, and um, you've never cheated on her. You've been together for 15 years, but then uh, Jake Roberts comes to town. Jake takes you out for dinner, and oh, my God, you wind up getting a little tipsy, and you fuck a midget. Yes. Yes. Now, you feel really bad about fucking this midget because you have not cheated on your wife ever. You love her. You feel so bad about it. Guess what you're going to do? Tell me. You're going to go and tell her. Because uh. you don't want anything in between your relationship, right? Now, it seems like that might be a good idea, but it's not. No. Uh, because here's what happens. The second you say, I cheated on you, she doesn't believe a fucking word you have to say from then on. You have destroyed your credibility. Now, not only does she not trust you, she's going over in her mind about how many more times you fucked around. Although you just got them saying you've never cheated before, so she doesn't trust you at all now, does she? Especially no, with a midget, you know, what the exactly, fuck is that? Exactly, exactly. Well, that's because, you know, you're trying to get him smaller, you think he'll run out. Yes. Yeah. But, anyway, but uh, the, the thing is, you've destroyed that credibility and you do not get it back. It's the same thing in the ring. If you destroy your credibility in a match, people do not forgive you and let you start over because they've seen through your bullshit. Once they see through your bullshit, they, it's done. It's over. <laughs> Who have you seen that happen with? Who have you seen? Which 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 big time people have you seen that happen with? Oh, a thousand of them, man. The worst being uh, probably Lex Luger. Right, right. Lex Luger would walk to the ring one week and he's snarling at everybody. And the next week he's hop, he's he's skipping and hopping to the ring, high fiving people. Right. He, he destroyed his own. He destroyed his own credibility. And he didn't even get the fucking ring to do it. Yeah. You need a lane. Because people see it and they go, that's a phony motherfucker. Right, right. That guy's a phony. He's right. not real. He never seen that with Jake Roberts never hit a guy with three clotheslines. Because if I have to hit you with three clotheslines, we're both liars. We're both pussies. Right. You need a real any shot. Man, any man that hits another man with an open shot, like a clothesline, and he has to hit him more than once, some there's bullshit. And it's phony shit. Okay, I don't care how, how tough you are. If I can clean, take your head off with a fucking clothesline, and you know sell me, then I, what am I doing in that fucking ring? I have no business in that ring. It's done. It's, it's, it's done. Never going. And that's the reason Jake Roberts worked because I didn't let people do that shit to me. Well, it was where fantasy and reality kind of blurred for a minute. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I always believed in what I was doing, man. My my, grand, my my stepdad told me, he said, "Son, it doesn't matter what you're doing, but whatever you're doing, do it the best of your ability. Doesn't you know? It doesn't mean if you're washing cars or you're a brain surgeon. Do do it to the best of your fucking ability. But as long as you do that, you're in good shape. Let me ask. You're in good shape. Let me ask you this. No, I agree with you. Um, 
you when you go from the top to like fucking bottoming out like yeah. do you remember the last bottom and like I, th- I i always ask people about that on the show because mm-hmm. i think it helps to recognize it obviously even after you got into some sort of recovery there were more yeah. relapses but yeah. what what was it like to, like when did you start to feel like you couldn't do it anymore or you knew that everything had gotten away from you well Unfortunately for me, I lived on the bottom for a while. Okay. And that is not a nice place to be. You know, uh, not only are you struggling to make ends meet, um, so there's there's no good in life. You know, I had nothing good happening with me. And um, that's when Dallas stepped in. It was all about the time. And... um, at the time, if I'd had money, I'd have probably kept going for a while. So you just got to get rid of all of it, man. You got to, you got to be desperate to want to make that change. And uh, so when when he came in and brought me out of where I was at, uh, the the thing that sealed the deal was was when he told me, "Look, I know how tough it's going to be, but." If you will do it, I will take care of all your bills while you're doing it. Excuse me? Right. I'll pay your rent. I'll pay your fucking this. I'll pay your that. I'll pay your insurance. I'll pay everything. I'll even pay your ex-wife. <laughs> and when he said that, I'm like, I'm in. Right. You know, because I, did, I was tired of dodging that bitch. I was tired of running. I was tired of the hate and the anger and the bullshit and the shame. Now I got a guy who's going to pay all my bills. Well, then I get into the house, and what's the first thing that happens? Well, fuck, I lost five pounds. Oh, fuck, I lost 15 pounds. Holy shit, I've lost 25 pounds. When those good things started registering in my mind that I was actually making a physical change of myself, me, Jake the Snake Roberts, is making a physical change. I lost 25 pounds. Oh, that made me feel good about myself, didn't it? Yeah. How long has it been since I felt good about myself? Years. Years. And that's what you start grasping for is those good moments. Because they are real. Yeah. And that's what brought me back. Brother, I'm going to have to get off of here fairly quick. I'm getting real short of breath. And I've got the oxygen on, so... Jake, you're a good man. I appreciate you being on with me. Um, it's Let's an- do it again. Yeah? Oh, yeah, definitely. I'd like to do this about once a month. All right, well, I'm here, so I'll call you next month. All right, bro. Jake, you're an inspiration, and uh, and thank you for coming on, man. Thank you, bro. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So the question is, first of all, what an honor for me to have Jake the Snake Roberts on the show. Yeah, I think for a lot of people in Dopey Nation, that's going to be a cool surprise. Well, I also just think that this guy has been through the mill. Like, you don't hear... What a life. You don't hear stories like that. It's like... Or maybe you do, but it's still just such a fucking crazy, real, salt-of-the-earth, crazy humility story and two have survived i mean with a little you know a little problems but two have survived i mean some people have that and don't make it through and some people have these lives and they seem unscathed by it they're like they somehow can like like shed it like a second skin 
when they're adults are like, that was my life. And then some people have a little bit of residual from it. This dude has a lot of residual. I have like the nicest childhood with like almost nothing bad. And I'm like hanging on to like the one, two bad, small things, you know? What do you mean? Just like whatever. Total tr- sex addiction and drug addiction, no, alcoholism, I mean, like, depression, like I had like pubic hair obsession. No, like I had a perfect childhood, nothing to complain about, but I've found like things to complain about. I don't, you, you, but do you really think that's the story of your addiction, that you found things to complain about? Um, I don't understand. You're tying somehow. You're saying I have a sex addiction, which you've been saying for like a week now. A sex and love obsession. Um, I don't think I'm any different than any other human. Listen, I'm not saying that you're different than any other human, and I'm not... Listen, I I think, and I don't think you're alone here, and I'll, I'll put my... I think that you use sex and love as an external thing to make you feel different, which is something that Jake the Snake talked about, too. Jake the Snake craves intimacy because he's seen the emptiness of his sex addiction because he's used people as drugs. Well, I know that like it hasn't add, like all the things I've done, it doesn't add to anything. It's like it doesn't lead anywhere. It doesn't lead anywhere good and it could potentially lead to terrible places. And if you think like I want to sleep with like uh, like a whole bunch of hot, you know, sexy people and then when you do it like it doesn't do anything. Well, often, I mean, I think a lot of... I don't think you're a blown-out, pronounced sex addict. I, I mean, I think you're a sex... I mean, you said you had sex with 5,000 people. I don't know how many. That's the number you quoted, <laughs> 5,000 people. Um, and I, I think I've had sex with 40, I maybe. Mean, there's some people who, like, can't have pornography in their house. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Um, dude... Some people can't look at like we talked about Chris Rock. You know he hasn't oh, yeah. he hasn't masturbated. He hasn't looked at porn in six months, and he says he's living the life beyond his wildest well, dreams. I told that to a friend of mine, and he, the things you said: no sugar, no porn, no something, video games, and no no Facebook. My friend was like, "I've done without those things for long periods, and it has made no difference in my life." Meanwhile, you're sitting there eating homemade ice cream, masturbating to the wrestling <laughs> ringlets YouTube video, playing video games on the other hand. Um, I, I will say I'm not a video game guy, but whenever I've encountered them by accident, I can't get away. I've, I cannot stop playing it. Well, I think you're an addict, Ray. Like, I will like, look up, and it's like eight hours later. When you did your fourth step, um, are you done with it yet? I haven't even started. Dude, Ray, explain that to the audience. So my sponsor, who also said to me... Hold on, by the way. Is there any... Before you do that, is there anything else about Jake the Snake that you'd like to say? Wouldn't it be awesome if Jake the Snake came on next month like he said he would? On DopeyCon. I wasn't thinking about having him on DopeyCon. What I was thinking about, he said, I'll come on next month. Oh. And I was thinking like... That would be cool. Like a reoccurring guest. It would be awesome. I don't Update, know if it's see possible. what's happening. It I is. would love to know. I would love... And he wants to be part of the Dopey Nation. Oh, that could be cool. Like He's like, every two months we get an update, call in from Jake, and tells us what's up in his life. Or just like crazy WWF story. Oh, man. Crazy w- Dopey story. I wonder if he signed a, a non-disclosure with WWE. Definitely not, because he's out there telling the stories. Also, he has a book coming out in the next few months about his early career. That was something we were supposed to talk about, but we never 
got to it. I saw he was in like the Mexican Wrestling League, and he was in a few other leagues, or what do we call those things, organizations. I think they were called territories. They were wrestling organizations that they broke up the United States into territories. And it was like, basically, it's like just like you said with rock and roll or the Chitlin circuit. It was before the tidal wave of corporate greed in this industry. Like I remember watching wrestling when I was young, like a child, and it was a local thing. And it was from like... Where they like had cattle, they would turn the cat like a barn into the wrestling, and it was a local show. But Dusty Rhodes was on there. He Did he wear a ringlet. He you know that was another thing. Like it was a way for like a young me to see like half naked <laughs> men. <laughs> it was very sexy. It's funny, like the gayness of wrestling is it's never discussed. So gay. It's never discussed. I don't understand. I was drawn to watch it. I'm like, I don't know why I want to watch this, but I do. I don't know what about these sweaty, gigantic men in spandex is making me so fascinated. Um, but, Ray, I, the other day you were telling me that something happened around your knee that would be a really funny, dopey story. Oh, well, I, you know, I've had problems with my knee, and now my doctor says I need a knee replacement you know, in the future, not like tomorrow. But I played this rooftop gig with this really cool girl who puts on every Friday night she has a rooftop gig you know band and she asked me to do it and then afterwards um we were in her apartment and she's like she made some black garlic which is like fermented garlic she makes tons of it it's like a korean she's a witch right well it's a korean thing and uh and then we i she's told she cast a spell on the all the black garlic but her being a witch has nothing her to do with being korean right no okay um uh her she was raised jehovah's witness um but um then I ate the black garlic, which is like really good. It's hard to describe. It's kind of like a berry or a date. It's very sweet. It's black and fermented. And then she said, um, uh, she read my tarot cards, which I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, I don't really believe in it. But the tarot cards were like rebirth and new beginnings. I'm like, this is cool. I like that. She was very excited. But she, she's a- like, I see a cop with shaved yes, pubic yeah. hair in your future. <laughs> no, she was like, these, these are so excited. But she didn't choose the. Car, like I shuffled the deck and then she had a spirit guide come into the room and choose the cards for me. And then she's like, would you like me to do some healing energy on your knee? And I thought she was going to like wave her hand around for a second. And she started waving her hand around my knee. And then she went into like my past lives and she was like found where the injury had happened like hundreds of years ago in a previous life. I'm like, listen, lady. I hurt myself painting. I hurt myself diving yeah. at the rainbow show. Yeah, and painting. I had a career of squatting lady. Yeah. What did she what so what did she find in the past? But life? then she's asking, she's talking to somebody who's not in the room. She's like, uh, is he male? Is he female? You know, and uh, she was getting answers and then she was talking to a, like a dragon and a fairy and Is he Irish? Is he Irish? Chance? No, I'm not Irish. Um so but then she's like, the, the, heat, the hurt is like three feet below your feet. It's like in a chakra that's like below you. And anyway, she did all that. But I have an alarm on my phone every day at 629. It rings, so I call my sponsor. I thought she was going to be five minutes doing this. It was like 30 minutes. And then the alarm goes off, and she came out of her trance. And she said, do you have medication you have to take? And I was like, no, it's my AA sponsor. And I was like, I'll call him later. And then she just went back into it, and she was doing this for like, I don't know, 45 minutes all in all. But I wrote to her last night, and I was like, you know what? My knee feels completely normal now. So 
maybe it's cool. Maybe it worked. I don't know. <laughs> maybe that wasn't as funny as I thought it was. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting, and I think it's... Um, she cast a spell on your knee with fermented garlic. I think those were separate spells. I don't know what the spell cast on the garlic was. I should have brought... I have some... I have How some is left. the show? Oh, it's so fun. You know, that video has been watched like a thousand times since we did it. And uh, I sang a new song, and I got a lot of people writing to me. It was very, you know, I've worked with her a lot, and uh, she's very cool, very talented, and always fun to work with. When I lived in, uh, in L.A., I had a job as an associate producer on this very shitty show on Channel 9 out there. It was called Nine on the Town. And uh, I was really strung. I was... Deeply addicted to heroin. And did they know at your job? They knew, but they and they fired me. <laughs> but 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 I worked for a little while, really high on heroin there. And I and I've I've talked a little bit about this with Chris a long time ago. I was so high on heroin at that job. I worked there for probably six months. In the bathroom, there was like a, a cabinet with drawers. In the middle drawer, I had I put like five, like twenty comics, like. I put a tissue box, and in the tissue box, it was just full of syringes, syringes and tourniquets and comics. Oh, my God. And I decided that was my drawer. <laughs> so when I would go to the bathroom, I would shoot heroin in their bathroom and, um, and read comics. And nobody would look in that drawer? I don't know, but it was pretty fucking bad that I would do that. <laughs> but So they, 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 I, they had me like research stories and set up stories to produce, and one of the stories I had to produce, or I think I pitched it, was witchcraft in Hollywood. And we lived in North Hollywood. And like I was like, yeah, we could shoot it at my house. And we can have the witches do a ceremony at my house. And it, at my house, it was really Jeremy's house. It was Jer- me, Jeremy, and Todd lived in this. And this other guy, Phil, oh my, lived a, in this house, house. This gigantic house in North Hollywood. In Porn Central. And I had all these witches came over to like burn some shit in the yard and like do a whole ceremony in the yard and i like spent the whole time in the garage shooting heroin jeremy was like what the fuck is going on i was like i was like they're they're doing their coven their their ceremony yeah. but i i missed the whole thing basically but like it was it's like one of those things that I wish I could travel back in time and see. I think it was just I was on so much Xanax and Clonopin that I don't remember. But imagine you're kind of half conscious and you're setting up a witch's coven <laughs> to come to your house. And I had like a video crew to shoot it and I was just way too high to yeah. run it. It was like insanity. You sound like David Bowie when he's, he called his manager. like, there's witches in my yard. They're casting a spell on you. And the manager's like, those are your friends. They're like in the swimming pool. <laughs> like, so you believe that this spell worked on your knee? Well, I, w- I was like, I'll believe in anything. And it's just as logical as anything else. Why not? As I always it's said. power of positive thinking. Your also. optimism crosses the line with denial as often as it possibly can. I try to. Um, you want to do voicemail or email? Well, you know, I wanted to say about Fourth Step that um, I read mine to my sponsor. He also said... But you, you didn't do the Fourth Step, so we well, didn't even I'm get still, to the explanation. I'm still practicing, but he also said, be very careful, mindful about who you tell you're doing a Fourth Step, because I mentioned that I had told somebody, and he's like, well, that's problematic since you're on a show that like discusses sobriety. It's hard for you to like not talk about Fourth Step. But I had two bosses that I had a resentment against for like 
one was like stealing money from my paycheck and the other one like said I wasn't doing my job right. But like on one, I was on heroin and I was stealing from the register. And on the other job, I was on crystal meth every day and I did fuck it up because I was out of my mind. So like <laughs> there's, there's uh, both sides to that story. When you're writing your fourth step, like when people piss you off, are you like, all right, you just made the list? I put some on that were very current, but we're still rehearsing. We're, I haven't started writing yet. Have you ever heard of that? I've never heard of that. No, I've never. Heard, I've told some people in the program that I've never heard it, but we've done like two months of rehearsing. What I've that written tells like, me, I've written like ten pages. What that? T- wow. What that tells me is your sponsor is a, a very, very rigorous. Motherfucker. I feel like he's very well qualified, and I feel kind of weird when he says, like, don't talk about anything with the program. And I come on here and I do that. But he knows that I do that and he knows about the show. But he's like, yeah, it should be anonymous. You should never talk to anybody that's not in a meeting. People sometimes write in and say, like, uh, what an amazing 12th step dopey is, like, carrying the message. That makes sense. Yeah, that's. And I've kind of I've told that to my sponsor. I'm like, this is some of the positive things I've had from talking about anything. Of like, people write to me and they're like, "You've helped me so much." I'm like, "How did I help you?" I'm just like a loser. And they're like, "No, but like, just I always talking wanted about to it. figure out how not to pay to wash clothes." <laughs> but just by people saying that, it's like, well, all I was doing was like talking about my stupid life, and uh, it's helped somebody somehow. People said that about the show, and then about me specifically. No, I think it's great. I never thought about that. The show is a 12th step. I want to ask you this. Would you rather hear a voicemail or read an email? Uh, Let's hear the voicemail. All right. It is from an English lady, uh, and she is responding to the DJ Fat Tony interview. Yes. All right, you ready? Yep. Okay, I'm going to try and uh, do my first ever dopey story for you, Dave. Uh, I felt inspired by the... Uh, interview that you did with Fat Tony, who was uh, a kind of a big deal on the scene that I was partying in, in my sort of active using party days. Uh, so I was working in the nightclub heaven, and I was working in the coat check, and this was about year 2000, 2001, something like that. And there was a big party that we all, all the staff at Heaven went to afterwards called Trade. Um, and Tony talked about this nightclub. And Trade was this incredible after-hours day party, just bananas. Like, they used to have dealers with, like, tape, like an open market and people queuing to get whatever they want. Uh, bananas, techno, hard house, funky house, drag queens, celebrities gays lesbians like the whole the whole nine yards it was it was such a spectacle and it was a time when ketamine was coming onto the scene as well and I never really did well with ketamine um my friends would actively try and steer me away from it um I was at the time kind of following this fashion that was going on on the scene where people would wear their belts on the side or sort of almost backwards And for whatever reason, that was kind of like a fashion at the time. And I was at this party at Trade, and DJ Fat Tony was playing, and there was a woman who starting to show an interest in me, and we were dancing. It was like 11 in the morning, you know, 10 ecstasy pills later, ketamine, cocaine, the whole thing. And then it was about, I think, 11, 12 in midday, 11 in the morning, and she said, oh, do you want to come to a 
like a chill out, a party where Tony is. And for me, as a sort of basically a kid, you know, like 20 year old, this was a very, very exciting invitation. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. And I was like, I'm just going to go to the toilet. So I went to the toilet and I'm so, I'm really hammered and I've taken ketamine and, and being a human is becoming quite difficult by this point. Coordination, basics, it's difficult. And the belt had slid, so the buckle was behind me. And I suddenly occurred to me, like, I don't know how to undo the buckle at the back. And I kept trying, I kept trying, kept trying. And then I got to a point where I so desperately needed to take a piss that I was, it, it dawned on me, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to undo the buckle behind my, by my back. And, and, I, I was, and then there was this moment where I suddenly gave up and I just, I released. <laughs> and I pissed myself on the toilet. <laughs> um, and, and so then, it, and then as I'm kind of peeing myself, it also becomes clear to me um, this is not how I see myself making my, an introduction to, <laughs> to Fat Tony's inner circle. So I ended up going up to the woman who, I, you know, I really liked and everything. <laughs> I was just like, I just sort myself out. And I hope no one would notice. And I just said, oh, I'm really sorry, I can't come. Um, and then I went up to my, my usual group of mates who I knew I could just tell them because like, we'd all seen each other do like whatever. And I was like, oh, I've just pissed myself. I've got to go home. Um, and so I went to another chill out with another group of friends where it was fine and they gave me a new pair of trousers. So just listening to that Fat Tony story made me remember that day where I got invited to a chill out to hang out with him and others. And I, my, my bladder and this fashion of wearing a belt backwards totally scuppered it so anyway i know it's not like super super dopey but it's kind of like a funny piss-based story which i'm sure uh chris will be enjoying from you know from the beyond so anyway uh fucking toodles for chris all the best take care great story that was hilarious love the <laughs> laughter and that's from a long time dopey listener i don't know if she wants me to say her name i'll just call her Faye. But it's a great. Um, yeah, I was I was laughing out loud here listening, and and like could relate. Like, although I like taking ketamine in a nightclub, it's like you just you won't know how to function. Like you won't know how to walk. You won't know how to undo a belt. It seems dangerous. Yeah, ketamine fucks you up. You ever do ketamine? I don't think I did. Yeah, ketamine. Ketamine. I did once on purpose, and a lot of times by accident. It's mixed in with dope. Well, I mean. It was mixed in with my dope. Oh. I didn't know about it. It, it. I think it like, you remember the old, uh, this is one of my favorite jokes and, um, and nobody gets it. Do you remember the old Folgers Crystals commercial? commercial? And the commercial would be, we've secretly replaced yes. your favorite yes. coffee with Folgers Crystals. Yes. <laughs> so like, basically they secretly replaced my heroin <laughs> with ketamine. <laughs> and when I would, sh- and I was shooting dope and it was ketamine and like, that was the story where I like I would sleepwalk all day. Oh I would yeah, shoot dope and you would and get would, locked out of your apartment, and I would get locked out of my apartment and call stuff like that. Dad. Call my dad. I want to call my dad. Fucking. Um, but I was thinking she could have gone to the party. I don't think anybody would have known. No, no. At a nightclub. I mean, that was another. That, it also reminds me of, uh, and it's something that 
you know, I shouldn't say that I repeat everything on the show over and over again, but we have to. I mean, the show's five years You're old. You're going to, yeah. Um, Todd, when Todd would do coke, his fear was that he was always peeing his pants and that they would see. Really? They would see that he was peeing Wait, his pants. Wait, without knowing he was doing that. Like they would see the, he wasn't peeing his pants, but they, he would think he was, and then he'd think people would see the urine. That's a weird one. All right, we got to go feed the meter. I freaked out because I thought I was going to get a parking ticket. I, I totally forgot that it's, you know, I thought you were going to get a ticket also. Well, I put money in the meter, and then I went out, when I went out to get the guitar, I had my guitar fixed. When I went out to get my guitar fixed, I put more money in the meter. Oh, I forgot that. So then now it was, the meter was up. Um, I just wanted so to it, say we never... Well, it was more than two hours then. Oh, yeah. I wanted to say that um, Ray and I did the first Dopey Patreon Zoom. Which was very fun. In September. It was beautiful, right? It was great. And it went like a lot longer than we thought, but it was like fun until the end. Coming up is the Dopey Patreon Halloween Zoom with Stashword, which means it is a game show that anyone in the Dopey Nation who is a patron and wants to come on the Dopey Nation Patreon Stashword Zoom can play. And you, my friend, are going to be like Vanna White. I'm going to turn the letters? Something like that. Maybe you'll read the questions. Maybe you'll call on people to answer questions. Okay. I I don't understand any of this, but I I was so bad at the first one, and then I learned learned on the job, so it's probably going to be the same thing. Yes. Ben Crawford helped you out. This week, or next week on the Patreon Zoom, it's going to be a game show, an interactive dopey game show with prizes. I'm going to open up the Zoom. With nobody on it, or maybe I'll get somebody to be on it, so I can figure out how to do all that stuff, like how to raise your hand, how to mute, how to unmute. I think maybe you should do a practice. How Dopey to be Patreons? How to turn the letters? Yeah, I didn't practice that at all. But I thought Ben would be my co-host, but then I didn't set it up so that I could have a co-host. So it was my fault. Sounds like you should do a, a dry Zoom run. I'm going to do that, like tonight. What, and when is it? The twenty fourth? Yeah, you got another week. Maybe this Saturday night you should do a a a. Test. You know when I'll do the test is what? like the day of the twenty fourth. Like during the day. That's how I. Would. But they're going to get worn out. Do it the night before. Or I'll something. do it the night before. All right. Here's a dopey email. It's not that dopey. Damn, Dave. Try a little patience with dogs. They give unconditional love and trust their humans to take care of them. If the dog was throwing up his shit, maybe he was sick. Take him to a vet. That's what they are there for. That's no reason to throw him away and give up so soon. However, still love you and the show. I just can't believe you guys gave up on him so soon. Try another dog. They are great for kids. So many get killed every year because there is not enough love. It's so sad. Love you and the Dopey Nation anyway. This is the best podcast, and I listen every day to get caught up. Just try a little patience next time. I hope that when you get this, you will try... Have another dog, hopefully a different breed. This is not to piss you off, so stay calm. Well, this, you know, there is like one in a million dog. There's just, most dogs are cool, but there's one in a million that are like not cool. Maybe you got that one. Our dog was fine. We just, we don't have enough love in our home to share with the dog. There's a lot going on in your house. It's, our house is like bedlam. Yeah. And like... It's just, listen, Ixnay on the Aug day for no, now. No dogs. I, I see people with dogs. And no, uh, no hairless rats either. Hairless rats. That's what Linda wanted to get. Oh, God. <laughs> listen, it's like this. I see men with dogs, and I don't dislike dogs. And, and 
I have to say this. I love my family. I love my children. Wasn't that a rat terrier? Yeah, it was a rat terrier. But, Ray, you've seen me with my kids. Is it obvious how much I love my kids? Oh, yeah, yeah. I love my children. I don't have enough love to share with a dog. I love Dopey. Dopey is my dog. Dopey is my dog. (laughs) I don't have time to fucking train a dog, walk a dog, curb a dog, fucking... Dopey is the dog. If I have a dog... But your kids can't play with Dopey. No, the kids cannot play with Dopey. (laughs) But... That's true. The kids play with the cat. I have the cat. I think they're not quite old enough to like take care of a dog themselves. They're not quite old enough to take care of a dog themselves. No. And it's so much work. And guess what? Guess who would have to take care of I told you that. You're gonna do everything with that dog. And guess who is incapable of taking care of a dog? I can't do it. It's a lot of work. So so Dopey Nation, fucking PETA, whoever listens to the show that wants me to have a dog, think of the dog. The dog shouldn't have me. Like maybe in like two years, you can go down to ASPCA and look at a bunch of dogs and choose the one you like. No, not two years. I'm thinking ten years. <laughs> we do not need a dog with these kids. Like the the kids aren't going to do it. I love Linda. She's not going to do it. I'm going to have to do it, and I can't do it. It get cannot it, happen. Go to the track. Oh, there's no more tracks. You get a greyhound. The fucked. I heard greyhounds aren't nice breeds. No, fuck, I had greyhounds. The fucked. Are they nice? They're so nice. Why don't you get a dog? I. Oh, this is. I fostered greyhounds for years. I've had like fifteen greyhounds in my house, and they're the sweetest dogs. Um, yeah, they're really nice. All right, I have another dopey story, um, an actual drug story. Do you want to hear it? Yeah, yeah. This and, is you. No, I mean, I have a ton of dopey stories. <laughs> Did you ever take drugs, Dave? Did you ever hear... <laughs> I, there's a dopey story I never told on the show, and it's not like a killer story or anything, but I always thought it was funny, which was when I lived in L.A. and I had no work, um, eventually I was like, I need to get a job. You know, I, I wasn't working. My girlfriend was paying for my life. Yeah, I just found out about this episode in your life, that you lived there for eight years or something. I lived there for eight years, and I was supported by my girlfriend, and I didn't work, and I just did drugs. I thought you were there for like six months. No, it felt it was a really <laughs> long six months. And in I got, North Hollywood, too. No, I lived in North Hollywood with Jeremy and Todd, and then I moved to Echo Park with my ex girlfriend. Oh, nice. And um, I got a job working um, working at a school, working for a kid who had some kind of like issue you know what i'm saying he was like slow or like he he had some sort of something was up issue yeah and i was assigned to him as his aide okay he's a drug addict and i was high you know what i mean (laughs) and i and the kid was probably 10 or 11 or something and i would take him to school and i would sit in class with with the class so it would be a class of 10 or 11-year-olds. And this the, old junkie. The teacher or, and me. And I was probably... You were 25? No, I was like 30, 32. <laughs> and I was high. It's like an Adam Sandler movie. It is. It's like a, it, but it's worse. Do you know why? Because this is how fucking retarded I am. Yeah. And excuse me for using the word retarded. This is how fucked up I am or was. That when I was in the class, the teacher would ask the class questions... And I would raise my hand <laughs> and I would share in front of this, the kids. Oh my God. And then I would, and then, and then I would ask questions. It's like, weird that the teacher would call on you. It, it is, but I would ask questions. 
I'd be like, wait a second. Did Thomas Jefferson did this? And I would make points. And I think for the first time in my life, I felt smart when I was 30 in the fifth grade. And I don't remember how it ended, but it could not have ended well. This has to be in the dopey movie. I know. It's fucking, it's so sad. I mean, it's funny, but it's so sad, right? Imagine that. Where's that kid now? I don't find it sad. I find it just funny. Where is? You think that kid's like strung out in downtown Los Angeles? That kid is like, when I was in the fifth grade, they gave me this old man to hang out with, and he was like obviously high, and he would answer questions at my school. It must have been so embarrassing. And people would be like, I don't believe you. That didn't happen. Oh my god. Anyway, through what agency did that happen? I don't. I I took too many benzos to remember anything. (laughs) It's the same reason I don't remember the witch's coven. You know, it's just you know, I don't know. All right, Ray, it was another pleasurable show. Did you have fun? I, I love the last the last thing on the list is very funny, which I don't think we're going to talk about. All right, well, I mean, we were, <laughs> we were in a meeting, and we were talking about, I don't know, I think we were talking about love or family or something, and uh, I think I we were talking about God and love, and I shared how uh, my father, like, uh, you know, has his issues with God. He doesn't doesn't believe in God, and he doesn't, he says he understands uh, how a higher power and God equate, but he really doesn't. He really, what he's doing is he's humoring us that we say higher yeah. power, and he's like, well, if that keeps you off drugs, yeah. great. He doesn't understand that a higher power could be everything, you know, but because my dad is very literal. He's a, yeah. very, he's a very literal old man. Higher power is like the universe. Yes, but I'm speaking to my dad right now. I'm just kidding. Oh, dad. yeah. I think you're Alan's wonderful. a very young man. My dad is at the last end of his young part. That's how I feel at 60. Yeah, you, are, you are too. The two of you I, are. I had a terrible fourth step experience that uh, my sponsor wants me to have everybody have a name, not like some dude in high school. So I got out my high school annual yearbook and looked up this guy and I got his name. And then I thought, let me see what my teachers are up to. And I started Googling my teachers. All of my teachers are dead. They're all dead. And one of them had, like, on her Facebook, her on her deathbed, she's like, I'm terminally ill and I'm committing assisted suicide. I'm like, I got to stop Googling them. And then uh, I, like, a friend of mine put up a video of, like, us in college at a punk rock thing and everybody's dancing and punk rock. And they're all dead. They're too. all dead. There are a bunch of them are dead. Some of them from, like, heroin. So the rest from, of them died of old age. And they, they've died of old age. Yeah. And they're my age. So, anyway... <laughs> I'm I'm sharing something nice about my father. I was just joking that my dad. He's a very spry. What is he? Seventy seven, seventy six. That's he. That's it gives me hope. I have fifteen more good years. But and he didn't live hard like you did. Um. Anyway, so my sponsor Alan never like dove into a crowd of teenagers at a rainbow show. Yeah, my dad never licked urine off a toilet <laughs> rim, nor flossed his teeth he, with pubic he hair. He never shot dust. He never shot dust. He does, never collected pubic hair Alan and keep it drink? in a pubic hair box. I see a bottle of whiskey there. Does Alan drink? Where's a bottle of whiskey? Right here. That's salad dressing, right? Is it? That's salt. No, that's maple syrup. Oh. Um, yeah, but he drinks a little bit. He, he drinks socially. Anyway, the the... the, the what my sponsor said was that his father gave him one piece of advice. <laughs> Thanks, which, Dad. <laughs> which was to marry a woman with small hands so his penis would look big. Only when she's holding it. Right. But that, that's, a key, that's a key time. <laughs> Quick, grab my dick. <laughs> well, my sponsor is a very spiritual person, and it was a joke. Yeah. And uh, he's so spiritual that even the women at the meeting laugh. 
That's that's a fine if line to cross. If he told that story in Manhattan, it would not have flown. I've seen people go down, like saying things they think is going to fly, and it's like, oh, it just killed the room. There's big news coming up, by the way, in the Othello world. Othello's going to get made? Let's just say a certain top chef chef is interested in collaborating with me on the Othello, and we have a tentative meetup in November. Is it a chef that's been on the show? It might be. <laughs> it just might be. Is it Emerald Lagasse? <laughs> He's never been on the show. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. Peace and- out, Dopey Nation. Peace out, Dopey Nation. See you later. See you later. Thank you, Ray. Bye. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm getting all like emotion.